Praise God, you guys. I'm leaning strictly on my left leg, so we'll see how long this can last. Uh, <laughs> Lord is good. Yeah, it's tougher when you get older. But praise God, one of the things we'll talk about in this message is the resurrection. I, I, I want to get into, and in the next topical series we're in is, uh, and we already started that, we're in two topical series right now, which I'm not going to do them all in a row because we're going to, do, we're going to go through Jude and we're going to go through the book of James this year, right? And, uh, but the one series I started is on the fruit of the Spirit. I already did a message on the Holy Spirit, amen, introducing the Holy Spirit, it was called. And they also started another topical series on uh, overwhelming evidence, you know, that proved Jesus in the Bible. And it was one part of several parts, but it was more of an overview of the different, it was like looking at the forest. And then after we look at the forest, we'll look at the separate trees in the forest, all these branches of evidence, so to speak, which I'm so excited about this series. The fruit of the Spirit we'll do mostly in a row when we really get going on it, which is, you know, we already kind of started. This one, I wanted to just do one message on the overview, but I've, I thought, nope, I've got to do the second one because I didn't finish and my heart was burning with the evidence. It's just so good. And I thought, Man, so many people respond to the evidence that just lifts their faith up. And we looked at several branches of evidence that we'll look at, as I mentioned, in more detail. So I want to look at other branches of evidence that I didn't get into and some that I added since that, that message. So you have two messages. When you just want to click in and just want to, your faith to be strengthened, you'll, you'll, you can stick these two messages in back to back and just hear a barrage of just evidence that's just overwhelming. And then other times you can just go through the series where we look at whole whole message on evidence of the resurrection, whole evidence of on uh, evidence of you know uh, of the cross or evidence of prophecy or what have you. So we'll have a whole series, as I mentioned. But I wanted to do a second one on this, which will be two that could just be used at any time, just to build your faith in Christ and strengthen it. And uh, but I want to give you a quick overview of most of the points that we already went through. Uh, briefly, maybe add a couple points on one or two of those points, and then get into the newer points as well. But uh, quickly, I'll just go through some of them quickly. Some I'll take another couple minutes or so. Uh, We looked at manuscript evidence, amen? We looked at manuscript evidence. And when we talk about manuscript evidence, that's manuscripts, copies of original documents. And this is a crazy thing, that they don't doubt whether Plato existed, right? Right? You know how many early manuscripts they have of Plato? Seven. Julius Caesar's Wars. You know how many manuscripts they have of evidence of Julius Caesar? It is, is uh, ten. Do you remember how many manuscripts, early manuscripts they have of just the New Testament? How many was it? Not hundreds. It was what? How many thousand? 24,000. And by the way, it's not only far more dwarfing. Even Homer's Iliad only is in the hundreds, you know. You're talking 24,000. But it's not just how many, because so many copies, because they were being copied and sent to the churches throughout the, you know, second and third century in mass, you know. Uh, but it's not only the amount of them, it's what, how early they are, the proximity they are to Christ. We have more, and at earlier dates, than any other manuscript tradition of ancient history in all of antiquity, of any book, any writings. That's powerful evidence. Uh, We also had uh, messages on, or some of the points we went through, which uh, were evidence for Satan in the spirit world. Not going to get all of that again, but we talked about, just watch They Sold Their Souls for Rock and Roll. Just watch Marvel's War on God. Just watch our Hollywood's War on God. There's so much overwhelming evidence that there's a spirit world and there's evil in the spirit world and it's antichrist. Okay? Quote after quote after quote after quote from uh, different you know, popular artists and celebrities and so forth. Uh, also, we looked at the existence. The existence of Israel, right? Not just her existence, but the prophecies in regard to her existence. Amen? That they ceased to be a nation. And no other people group had ceased to be a nation and then become a nation again after it was about 1,800 years, you know? mind-boggling. And you should not be numb to this evidence. You should be excited about it. In fact, my daughter Holly, uh, and she, Holly always tripped me out growing up because uh, when I remember just driving down, she's in her, I don't think she, she might have been in her car seat because she was in the back seat, okay? She must have been older, though, because of the intelligent talk she was having with me. So, because she says, Dad, Dad. No, she didn't say it like that, but she said, <laughs> she says, 
why, why, don't, uh, why don't people... By the way, is it okay if I play like that once in a while? Uh, somebody wrote in and says, Joe, joking is unbiblical, you know. It's, it's lying. And I'm like, when my little kid goes, boo, it's not really a ghost, or my grandchild, I'm like, you liar, you know. <laughs> You're such a liar, you know. No. We end, there's a difference between lying and playing, amen. So it's like, wow. It's, some people probably you know, sit around and look like they've been sucking on a lemon all day, and that's sad, you know. I'm just, it's sad. I'm just being honest and pray that person lightens up and sees that there's a difference between, you know, uh, playing and lying, you know. So, but I'll have to be, confess this. I lied. She didn't say that. I was just teasing. But she's in the back seat and she's, I'm a playful guy, okay. She's like, she said, Daddy, she goes, and we're just having talking. And she goes, how come people don't love the truth? And I knew, I thought, man, Lord, I get to see your little heart, you know. She loves truth already. It was so beautiful. And she does to this day. We love you, Holly. And she's just a, a, such a beautiful daughter and loves the Lord. And, uh, just, but this, I mentioned her because uh, she gave her testimony. I, just, I grabbed a lot of people randomly at the end of our, one of our Christmas thing, whatever it was. And just said, hey, can you go up and give a testimony real quick? And that ended up in our super celebrity thing, which has got, it's going on 400,000 views, by the way. So a lot of people are hearing the message of salvation. Uh, and in her testimony, she said, I just thought this was really beautiful because she said, you know what? The evidence that uh, hit me the hardest growing up was the evidence of Israel becoming a nation in a day, or however she put it, becoming a nation again. And all the prophecies surrounding her, the rebirth of Israel, it's just, it's impossible. That, so I didn't get into that last time. So I'm just kind of bringing a little inf- new information that just hit my heart as I'm talking. But Israel and prophecy in Isaiah 66, a nation would be born in a day. And who's ever seen such a thing? It says, boom. Come on, you guys, use these things. You know why you need to listen up and you need to be focused and you should be writing notes or you should at least be you know, listening again and writing notes or at least registering the notes in your brain? It's because Peter tells us in 1 Peter chapter 3.15, verse 15, that we are supposed to what? 1 Peter 3.15, always be ready to give an answer for the hope that lies within us. Amen? Amen? Oh, no, bro, I'm not going to use that. No, I can't use that, man. Not while everybody else is standing up. Oh, wait a minute. Just kidding. No, no, I'm good. Oh, no, I joked again. I'm so sorry. God, man. Okay. But I really, really appreciate that, bro. If it would have been cold water, you would have got a reward, you know? <laughs> no, God, see, God sees your heart, bro, and that was really sweet, of, really sweet of you, Mark. In fact, you know what? Maybe leave it back there because who knows, you know? Uh, so I really appreciate that. So uh, don't say never, right, a lot of times. Anyway, uh, it's, it's critical, very, very important uh, that you always have an answer for the, those who ask about the hope that's within you. And it says to give them an answer with gentleness and with respect. Amen? Okay, and the, the Greek word there is apologia, which is a legal term used in the first century that lawyers would use and was used in law for giving a legal defense. We're supposed to always be ready to give answers for our faith. Amen? And the resurrection of Christ is the best evidence, which we'll talk about, because I'm only, remember, I'm just hitting the forest, not the trees in any super depth right now. So we'll talk about that in a moment as well. But Israel, man, that gets people's attention. If they want truth, amen? If they want truth. Now, you got to understand this. Not everybody, it doesn't matter what amount of evidence you use for some people, they're not going to submit because their hearts are not right with God. They have some kind of inner bitterness or, or grudge against God and they're angry with God or, or they claim to be not be believers, but Romans 1 says they're suppressing, holding down the knowledge of the truth because, and he gives them over to the depravity of their minds because they don't want to be accountable to God. That's how I was before I was a Christian, you know, not accountable, didn't want to be accountable, didn't want to look at the evidence. I knew there was something bigger than me, but I did not want it to be the God of the Bible, you know? And what did Jesus say or, or what did uh, Abraham say when Lazarus is, or the rich man in Hades was in torment and flames saying, send Lazarus to warn my brothers so they don't come here as well, so they repent. At least his theology was right in that regard. He needed, people needed to repent better than some theologians today, right? And, and, and Abraham said, even if, one, if they don't listen to the word of God, right, they won't believe one who has even risen from the dead. And that's because the Bible says, especially of those who fall away, that in Romans 3.12, or sorry, Hebrews chapter 3, verse 12, he warns, you know, not to allow hearts to be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin to where we have a heart of unbelief and falling away from the living God. A heart of, that's given over to sin, right? 
sexual sin, pride, arrogance, anger, whatever. Uh, it just If it's given over to sin, it talks about that being given over to unbelief. Because what happens is you don't want to face God. People backslide. They know Jesus is real, and they know they need to get back. But they can get to a point. The Bible tells us in Hebrews chapter 6, uh, 1 John chapter 5, verse 16 and 17, uh, Hebrews chapter 10, verse 26 through 31, uh, Hebrews chapter 3, where they harden their hearts so much, they don't want to come back. And no matter, but you pray for them still, because guess what? Some will come back. Amen. But some people will just dig their feet in for all eternity, and that breaks my heart. So that's why you can't just witness. You need to make sure you're praying for lost people. Amen. You should make it a goal in your life to be praying for certain lost people. Are you praying for people that are lost? It should be a habitual thing where you're praying for lost people around you. Amen. And asking the Lord to save them. And then asking the Lord to use you. Amen. That's important. You should be praying about all sorts of things. Please pray for my leg, too. Okay? <laughs> I'm like, whoa, man. Got a member of my body's hurting, and the rest is filling it. So God is good, though. Uh, so be praying, you guys, uh, for, for the lost and always being ready to have an answer. That's why these types of messages are so important. And what happens is Christians don't think about apologetics and answers a lot of times because they're so self-focused. So much of the church today is about me, myself, and I. Name it and claim it. Live your best life now. right? And people are just getting focused on themselves. We need not lose sight of the lost, amen? We need to be having answers. So uh, that was one of the uh, uh, things we talked about, the existence of Israel. Bible prophecy, we talked about the book of Daniel a little bit and so forth. Prophecies about the nations. And the prophecies of Daniel are so amazing about what would happen after Daniel and even long after Jesus. And so much of it was already fulfilled by the time Jesus came. And so much of it is just so eye-popping that secular Critics say, it must have been written after these things. It must have been written after these things. So they try to push the date closer and closer to Jesus. Problem, the book of Daniel is in the Septuagint, which was an early Greek uh, copy of the Old Testament, long before the date. Uh, it was already there long before they wanted us to believe it was written. So, and by the way, Jesus says, as was prophesied by the prophet Daniel, when he's talking about the abomination of desolation, in Daniel chapter 9, he recognized Daniel, Jesus did, as a prophet. Anyway, um, I'm getting into things I didn't get into, so I mentioned that. Uh, somebody's water. Somebody probably brought it for me. Thank you so much. Mark. Mark, you do get your reward, but where is he at? That's beautiful. Uh, so we also looked at pre-science, you know. Uh, science, stuff in the Bible that's just people didn't typically believe and know and understand, right? In fact, the Bible teaches that the earth is circular, right? It's a sphere, and it says that it's what? Held up by nothing, just suspended in space just by the power of God. Nothing that you could see, right? Yet uh, we know uh, uh, the uh, Hindus, for instance, their so-called you know, sacred scriptures teach that the earth is on the back of four what? Do you remember? Elephants who are on top of a turtle who are swimming in a milk of what? Sea. A milk of a milk of a milk of what? A sea of what? <laughs> a sea of milk. Okay. No wonder you didn't get the third one right. Okay. A sea of milk. But hmm. now both seemed incredulous, to be honest with you, when they're written. Suspended on nothing. On, on I mean, how could God suspend the earth on nothing? It would just fall down, right? Well, guess what? Now they're like, wow. Not just Earth, but the other planets that we see orbiting our Earth. Amen. So quite amazing. Uh, we also looked at, uh, you know, a lot of other evidences. We looked at prophecies of Jesus as the Messiah long before he came, right? That he fulfilled, specifically how he, the Messiah would be rejected, amen? I like to use ones that aren't typically used. Uh, uh, we also looked at biomedical or biomedical prescience. That's one of my favorites because so many of these evidences, I mean, all these evidences you can't really explain away. And certain evidences are just like, I like, I like to use evidence, as I mentioned before, that people don't typically use. That you could go to apologetics class, uh, you can take a whole, you can major in apologetics and never, ever talk about biologic, bio, uh, biological prescience. That's just a trip. And I'm just saying, well, maybe it's me and certain other people, but I think this is one of the coolest evidences that the Bible was divinely inspired by God, right? Amen. A super intelligence, in fact, the ultimate 
you know, intelligence is God. Uh, because there's all these biological warnings, warnings to stay away from certain things, amen? And I mentioned some of them to you, but where God's trying to protect his people from seminalia, from bacteria. And he specifically says, I'm giving these laws so you don't get the diseases of the nations or get the diseases of, of Egypt where they came from. In fact, let me just read, because I didn't do this last time. I spent a few more minutes on this one. Uh, this is chapter 11 of Leviticus. In fact, go to chapter 11, verse 29, if you've got your Bible. Leviticus chapter 11, verse 29. And when you get there, you'll see in verse 29, it says, Of the animals that move along the ground, these are unclean for you. The weasel, the rat, any kind of... So weasel and rats, guess what? They're furry and they carry what? They carry, you know, fleas and diseases and stuff. Or the great lizard, okay? Uh, the gecko, the monitor lizard, the wall lizard, the skink, and the chameleon. Even today, they tell you when you buy these animals, you got to be careful, amen? Many of these creatures, right? With seminal and so forth. Of all those that move along the ground, these are unclean for you. Whoever touches them when they are dead will be unclean till evening, right? When one of them dies and falls on something, that article, whatever it uses, uh, I'm sorry, whatever its use, will be unclean because of contamination. Whether it is made of wood, cloth, hide, or sackcloth, put it in water. It will be unclean till evening, and then it will be clean. Uh, so they had to wash it. If one of them falls into a clay pot, everything in it will be what? Unclean. And you must what? Break the pot. Now pot, it wasn't like these pots were, they're expensive. When you're shopping in Israel and you don't have a lot of money, your pots are like really, really important, you know? Break it. Any, fr uh, any food you are allowed to eat that has come into contact with water from any such pot is unclean. Interesting. And any liquid that is drunk from such a pot is unclean. Anything that one of their carcasses falls on becomes unclean. And even on cooking, a cooking pot must be broken up. They are unclean. And you are to regard them as unclean. Now, you remember I told you there was a distinction between what kind of pots to get some more detail? You, had to, you, you, could, you could wash certain pots and leave them in the sunlight, but certain pots you couldn't even wash and leave in the sunlight. You just had to destroy them. What kind of pots were they? Porous, porous pots. Why would porous pots be more dangerous? Why? They would, hold on to it. they would hold on. They would absorb the bacteria. That's right. Now, do you think they knew that then? They had no understanding of this. In fact, it wasn't until the 1800s, you know, Almost 3,500 years later, and I'm not going to get into Semmelweis and everything. I mentioned him last week, and they started to discover uh, the contamination of germs and so forth, and even the discoveries he was making, which were kind of anecdotal in a way, but to him it was quite clear when you look at it, like, I understand why he thought that. And that century in the 1800s, when they finally, 19th century in the 1800s, when they finally realized that there's contaminants and germs that we need to be careful of and so forth. But 3,500 years ago, wow. And I mentioned to you, uh, you know, that you can't say that, oh, they must have picked this up from, well, I didn't mention this, but you couldn't, have, some would say, well, they must have, Moses must have got these ideas from the Egyptians because he was in the palace of Egypt. No, no the Egyptians didn't have these sanitary lives that the Jews did. And how did Moses all of a sudden just have them right after he leaves Egypt because he was divinely inspired? One commentator states, after reading Leviticus 11, it seems as though a microbiologist was present with Moses to explain the perfect procedures to avoid spreading seminalia and other bacteria from reptiles to humans. How could Moses have accurately laid down such precise regulations that belie a superior understanding of bacteria? An honest reader, an honest reader, must conclude that he had divine assistance. Well, absolutely. Uh, now, it's amazing because when you really look at this, it's quite crazy. Like, for instance, uh, the Egyptians, this is from the, the Ebers papyrus, ancient papyrus, a document that is as far back as you can really go with Egyptian remedies. Uh, the doctors prescribed the use of healings, but guess what? Uh, let's say, for instance, you had, you know, an ailment where you had a splinter, just a splinter. I alluded to this last time, but I want to give you an exact quote. Uh, if you had a splinter, you were supposed to take, I'll give this more detail than I mentioned. I mentioned a donkey tooth or donkey dung. And this one is donkey dung. You take donkey dung, 
and you mix it with uh, a mole, and you mix it with, uh, you squeeze worms and get their blood out, then you mix it with worm blood, and then you stick it where your splinter was. Okay, I'm not giving medical advice. I'm not a doctor, okay? And this is not good medical advice either. This is when the cure is worse than the sickness, okay? This is Egyptian. Uh, and if you're, uh, if you're married and you have sore eyes, why do you mean married? Why if you just have sore eyes? No, you have to be married. Because if you're married and you have sore eyes, uh, the early Egyptian physicians make, uh, and I'm, now I'm quoting uh, from Dr. Essie uh, uh, Messengill, the early Egyptian physicians made considerable use of drugs, but also excrement and urine. It is said that urine of a faithful wife was uh, with them effective in treatment for sore eyes. Okay, so you have to make sure your wife's faithful, then you can use her urine on your sore eyes. Again, I'm not giving medical advice. I'm quoting what the Egyptians did. Okay, let's say, yeah, you, 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 know, you don't have a splinter problem. You don't really have sore eyes. Uh, you just have a horrible skin rash. Well, this calls for a hog's tooth, cat's dung, and dog dung. Sorry, cat, uh, Chad, you're in trouble because you don't like cats, you know. So uh, you, could, if you, have, you can get dog now. I'm happy for that. Uh, but, you know, you have to get some cat dung, get it out of the litter box, and this is just kind of gross. I'm glad it's not quite done with the message in lunchtime yet, but these are interesting cures, unbiblical, and totally unsanitary. unsanitary. You don't have anything like this in the Bible, guys. Isn't that a trip? But God warned you not to mess with this kind of stuff. Amen? So it's just, to me, it's just it's so amazing uh, what we have uh, in regard to... Uh, you know, by the way, by the way, I mentioned this before, but I don't think I mentioned this last week. Maybe I did, but I'll give you a little more detail if I did either way. Is in the 1400s, the mid-1400s, what plague decimated almost half of Europe? The bubonic plague? Some of you said the black plague. Which one do you guys think it is? The same one, yeah. Trick question. Uh, the, the black plague or the bubonic plague, almost half of Europe was decimated. Guess what they did? They began to, per there was one group where they only lost around many, you know, historians say about 20% of their people. That was the Jews. And they started saying the Jews were po must be poisoning the wells. Isn't that a trip? So, and guess what? This is not just an accusation against the Jews. Some say that there was more Jews killed because of that than, than died of the bubonic plague. I don't know how accurate that is, but different sources say it was close to how many people actually died were actually murdered because they were being accused. All because they weren't dying, many believed at the rates that other people were dying. And this is really incredible, you guys. It's not because some say, oh, they had a pact with the devil. Oh, they're poisoning wells. No, they had what? They were, many of them were applying the sanitation laws you find in the Old Testament. Amen? I'll just give you a little more food to thought for thought. That way, if you listen to part one of this and part two, man, you'll have a pretty rigorous defense in a lot of ways. These are just great evidences. I wish before I was a Christian, people would have shared these things with me. And they would, I would, oh, this book says that? What in the world? Yes, it does, you know. So it's just really amazing when you think about these things. Uh, okay, uh, we talked about evidence of Satan in the spirit world, all those other things. Uh, another line of evidence I want to talk to you about is the cross. We have a big cross behind me, you know? And why do we have a cross? Because, and why do we take communion every Sunday? Because the focal point of our faith is the Lord Jesus Christ and his finished work on Calvary's cross where he died for our sins and his glorious resurrection three days later. Amen? So our whole faith centers around Jesus Christ, our Lord Jesus Christ. But what's amazing, and, and last time I was with you when I talked, I was talking about, I, was talking about, I did have a whole section last time, one of our evidences is prophecies about Jesus. Amen? But now I want to hone in specifically in regard to the cross. Why? And why it's such evidence. It's such powerful evidence. Because there are prophetic declarations throughout Scripture that typologically and sometimes quite literally reveal that our Messiah would pay for our sins on the cross. And I don't want to get into all of them because that would be a whole message on that, right? Uh, I've done a message before, a long time ago, called The Cross in the Old Testament. It's a trip. You remember where Moses lifts up the serpent in the wilderness? 
and puts it on a pole. And if you looked from a distance, you would see a serpent and a pole. It would look like a cross. And you look to it after you were bitten by snakes because you're rebelling against God and you'd be healed. And Jesus says, as Moses lifted the serpent in the wilderness, so shall the Son of Man be lifted up. Amen. So there's interesting things. And this is what's important to understand is there's really clear scripture about what, Jesus, what would happen to Jesus when he was on the cross. Do you remember that? And it's pretty heavy. And by the way, let's just understand this. Very, very important. In Psalm 22, right? You have an incredible prophecy about what would happen to Jesus on the cross. And what's amazing about this prophecy is people were not being crucified on crosses 3,000 years ago when this prophecy was given. This prophecy was given about 1,000 years before Jesus died on the cross. We don't have records of any government using crucifying people on crosses until, well, you don't see the cross and crucifixion in, in that way until 600 years before Christ. So crosses weren't even being used. In fact, how did Jews execute people? Did they use crosses then, 1,000 years before Christ? No, how do they do it? They stone you to death, right? But it's interesting. Uh, the, you know, they, they, they believe it came with the Assyrians and the Babylonians, the Persians that invented crucifying people on crosses. The Romans crucified Jesus on a cross. But the Romans didn't pick up the cross and crucifixion until the third century before Christ, almost around 700 years after Psalm 22. And by the way, the Jews were still not <laughs> crucifying people on crosses. In fact, the Jews never had that as their practice to crucify people as a government. Even when Jesus was alive and they tried to kill him, and, and uh, what is it, John chapter 8, verse 58, what did they pick up to kill him with? It says they picked up stones to stone him. That's how they killed you. Oh, they didn't have legal right to kill him. They were just so angry. They had to work with the Romans. So this is also really interesting because it shows that the Messiah would somehow be under the authority of the Romans or a people group that uses crucifixion when he is killed. Not just the cross. That blows me away as well. So think about the implications of what I'm sharing with you at this moment. But it's really interesting. So a thousand years uh, before Christ is crucified, almost, we're looking at, what were, what were Jesus' words that he shouted from the cross? My what? My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? These are the words that Jesus cried out when, on the cross when he was being crucified. My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? You know what's heavy about these words? Well, some will say, well, he really didn't mean it that way. Like, he didn't feel like he was forsaken. And they'll say, he was pointing to Psalm 22. I agree with you. He was pointing to Psalm 22. Because they didn't say, hey, turn to Psalm 22, chapter 22, verse, whatever. Because they didn't have chapters and verses in those days, right? So a lot of times, uh, rabbis, they would cite the beginning of a passage to bring people's attention to it. So I don't have any doubt that Jesus was bringing their attention to Psalm 22. I'm with brothers on that. But it's not an either or. That's the either or fallacy. It's both. My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Because Jesus bore what? Our wrath. In our place. Amen. And he was drawing our attention to that prophecy. And he was bearing the wrath of God. I believe he knew the answer to that question. Uh, but... He's just gone to Gethsemane, and he's fulfilling the will of the Father. And, but it's interesting. Uh, in Psalm twenty-two sixteen, 16, we read, For dogs have surrounded me. It's a metaphor for evil people. A band of evildoers has encompassed me. Listen to this. They pierced my hands and my feet. They divide my garments among themselves and throw dice for my clothing. We know in the first century, that Roman soldiers played with those, like remember they stuck, they made, tried to make Jesus look like they put a crown on his head of thorns, they dressed him up like a king with a royal garment and ripped it off his, scab, his scabbing sores, you know. Uh, they were mocking him. Verse 14, I am poured out like water and all my bones are out of joint. My heart is like wax. It has melted within me. My strength is dried up like potsherd. My tongue clings to my mouth, dehydration, or to my jaws. You have brought me to the dust of death. Okay? 
And here we see that he's suffering the most incredible, excruciating of pain. But they pierce my hands and my feet and count on my bones. It just blows me away, guys. Thousand years before Jesus. Hundreds of years before your crucifixion was being used. Brothers and sisters, let him that has ears to hear realize we have incredible evidence for Christ. Amen? Don't ever doubt, you know? And what happens for, like I said, Christians start to get away from the faith. You've got to face God for all eternity and judgment. Don't let that happen. But what happens is you try to delude yourself and believe lies. And as I said, a lot of people won't believe the truth no matter how much evidence you give them. There's a ton of prophecies like this that are just mind-boggling. Because, you know, I mean, think about this. Remember, oh, science is so important. And then you talk to somebody who's, you know, all about killing babies in the womb. They, they want it to be legal from conception until birth and sometimes even after birth, believe it or not. Some of these guys want babies to be able to kill. After you look at them, if you feel like, hey, they're not fit, you can kill them then too. Sickos, man. I'm sorry, it's a sick thing, okay? And the Bible says that we're sick from head to toe. Amen? All of us. And we all need Jesus. Amen? But you can present science. Oh, it's not a living person. It's not, a, it's not human. It's, 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 not, it's not alive yet. It's like, no, it's alive. It's growing. Right? It has its own... De- well, it's, it's, not, it's the mother's body. No, it's in the mom's womb. That doesn't mean it's the mom's body. In fact, it has its own separate, distinct DNA. Well, it's not human life. It's not feline life. It's not canine life. What kind of life is it? It's human life. The evidence is so powerful... And we all know it. It's like the boy, the emperor with no clothes. We all know these guys don't have clothes on. It's a lie. They're believing a lie. Or the science. What about gender? Well, even, even you know, people in universities with a straight face are saying, well, there's no scientific mem- uh, you know, evidence that there's a difference between male and female biologically. What? And some will say, yeah, biologically, but you can kind of decide you want you to be. That's pretend. That's not science. Amen. So uh, no amount of evidence will help some people, but that's why, again, I say you need to pray for people. Keep people in prayer. Amen? So that's very, very important that we understand that, uh, uh, that a lot of evidence will just go absolutely ignored. How about evidence, just evidence for the existence of Jesus Christ? When I'm on the streets witnessing or I witness to people, sometimes you hear, well, how do we know Jesus even lived? Well, we don't even know that he really even existed. Because if you can't know if he existed, well, that come becomes like, you would think, a very powerful uh, state of evidence, right? Well, we have all this other evidence uh, of all these other realities that show that he's real and what he went through and everything. But, well, what, but that's beside the point if he didn't exist. Guess what, guys? Even Jesus' biggest critics in the scholarly world or those who are not Christians admit he existed. They admit he had had an incredible impact on his own apostles, you know. And we have evidence from the first century from secular historians like Josephus, a Jewish historian, uh, who speaks of Jesus in book 20 of his antiquities. He talks about how he's the brother of James and his followers believed he's the Messiah and so forth. Okay. Even Wikipedia which is often politically correct, Wikipedia says, quote, modern scholarship has almost, listen to this, modern scholarship has almost universally acknowledged the authenticity of the reference of Book 20, Chapter 9, 1 of the Antiquities, some of, of Josephus, uh, to quote this statement, the brother of Jesus who was called Christ, whose name was James. And the preponderance of historians say, yeah, that histor- he really did write that. Because some say, how do we know Christians didn't write that into his book later? And even this politically correct, you know, Wikipedia is saying, the preponderance of scholars say, no, this legit reference to Jesus in the Jewish historian who was not a Christian, Josephus. Okay? How about the first century historian Tacitus? He, in chapter 15, I'm sorry, in book 15, chapter 44 of his annals, uh, he writes, about the execution of Jesus at the hands of the Romans under Pontius Pilate, right? Uh, And he had access to the Roman records, by the way, because he was a celebrated historian, Tacitus, uh, and so forth. In fact, it's interesting, Bart Ehrman, Bart Ehrman's along, you could put him right there with uh, Richard Dawkins, one of the greatest enemies of the Christian faith. Bart Ehrman writes, 
Tacitus' report confirms what we know from other sources, that Jesus was executed by order of the Roman governor of Judea, Pontius Pilate, sometime during Tiberius' reign. Wow. Now, this is interesting, you guys, because we're talking about first century. Bart Ehrman, written books against Jesus, Christianity, you know, has to admit these things, and he admits that, you know, yeah, yeah, uh, this is true. In fact, Ehrman concedes, listen to this, Ehrman concedes, quote, 99.99%, that's a lot, of, it's a high percentage, right? 99.99% of the experts, he says, he goes on to say, uh, believe that Jesus existed and he's a historical person. And he likens it to denying the Holocaust, to deny that Jesus existed. Not a trip, you know? In fact, Bart Ehrman writes, quote, Is it any surprise to learn that the greatest figure in the history of Western civilization, the man on whom the most powerful and influential social, political, economic, cultural, and religious institution in the world, the Christian church, was built, the man worshipped literally by billions of people today, is it any surprise to hear that Jesus never ex even existed? And he's saying it's a joke, you know? That's, that's probably the biggest critic of Christianity. You know, that just blows me away. Ehrman further stated, with respect to Jesus, we have numerous independent accounts of his life in the sources lying behind the Gospels and the writings, he says, of Paul, sources that originated in Jesus' native tongue, Aramaic, and that can be dated in within just a year or two of his life. Are you guys with me today? Do you like messages like this? Amen. Do you think they're important for your faith? Praise, Praise God. Are you glad I'm doing a part two? Amen. Okay. I'll, are you glad I'm doing a part two? Yeah. Okay. Praise the Lord. <laughs> I won't do a part three. Don't worry. That'll be the series. We'll look at one thing at a time. But Bart Ehrman states that, uh, that the fact that Jesus existed is accepted, quote, by virtually every, listen to what he says, it's accepted by virtually every sane historian on the planet. Christian, Jewish, Muslim, pagan, agnostic, atheist, uh, what have you, has become a, uh, 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 he said that one has to conclude based on a range of compelling historical evidence. And I give you one more quote from him. Moreover, the claim that Jesus was simply made up falters on every ground. You know, like, you remember, you ever see Zeitgeist? That was put out years ago, and it made the rounds through the internet. And all kinds of liberals and atheists and agnostics were saying, oh, it's, this is evidence that Jesus never really existed, and he was just concocted by the apostles, you know, or his disciples and so forth. And, you know, and he, they use, and Zeitgeist says, oh, they use this myth and this myth and this myth and just kind of put this together. This is what Bart Ehrman says about those kinds of things. Moreover, the claim that Jesus was simply made up falters on every ground. The alleged parallels between Jesus and the pagan savior gods in most instances, reside in, mo in the modern imagination. And by the way, this is the guy who would love to cling to these things if he could. He says, we do not have accounts of others who were born to virgin mothers and who died as atonement for sin and then were raised from the dead, despite, despite what the sensationalists claim ad nauseum in their propagandized versions. Is that a trip? Okay. So scholars laughed at Zeitgeist, okay, because it was just... but. Your average person that didn't know Jesus just, oh, this gives us a reason to have faith that we're made by nothing and we could do everything, any sin imaginable, because it's not really sin. So these are lies. Another evidence I want to bring to your attention, which we didn't talk about, is the power of Jesus' name. The power of Jesus' name. And that this name is used and it's part of a spiritual war. You know? I've mentioned before, people don't hit their finger with a hammer and yell curses against Muhammad or Buddha or Zoroaster. Even a lot of Arabs, when they're angry, they say Jesus Christ. Isn't that a trip? Really, really interesting. Uh, and also, it's because Satan hates Jesus. And the power of Jesus' name I've seen in my own life crying out to the Lord uh, as I got to know him, when I go through an attack, boom, uh, invited. There was a guy that came here, uh, flew here. We get people to visit a lot, and he flew here, and he was listening to me online. He says, I need help. I'm possessed by a demon. I prayed that God would deliver him. Never saw him again after that. 
somebody comes in the church and they say, a guy called Coast to Coast, which is not a show I recommend. It's from Coast to Coast, late night on, I think it was on KFI and other stations around the nation. And he said he called and he said, I was possessed by a demon. I flew down to a church. Can I mention the name of the pastor that cast a demon out of me? And, and, he, and he said my name, you know. And he says, I haven't had trouble since. Well, somebody came to the church and they said they were listening to that. And he mentioned your name because he asked the host, can I mention his name? And he said, yeah. And he goes, you know what? I started, I started getting letters from people that I didn't know from around the country. Can you pray for me that God would deliver me from demons, you know? I got at least four of those letters or so. And I was like, that's crazy. I didn't put that together. Like, why am I? And I go, oh, I bet it's because of that what happened there. Two of the elders in our church, this one, the church was very young. You're talking about 30 years ago or so. Uh, yeah, right around 30 years ago. Uh, maybe 20-some years ago. Uh, two of the elders, brothers, uh, Steve and Greg Davis. I just was at a funeral doing the funeral for Lenny, and, and that's... Uh, Steve's married to Jill, and Lenny's her dad, you know. And we love Lenny. We miss him, but we're going to get to see him again. He loved Jesus. Amen. So I went with Greg, and I went with, uh, and Lisa went with me as well, over into the valley, San Fernando Valley, because their sister was not a Christian, and she was getting into, and Christians cannot be possessed. So if somebody's literally inhabited by a demon, the demon's cast out, I would say you were not a Christian, obviously, you know, because uh, the Holy Spirit doesn't hang out with demons. Okay? So anyway, um, they asked me, they said she's fully possessed, just berserk, and she's in the, heavily involved in the occult, has all these occult books, and it's like taking her over. So I said, yeah, I'll go and pray with her. And my wife and I went and, and prayed for her. And we walk in there uh, to the home, in a little apartment. And I walk in, they wanted me to go into a room where the door was closed. And I'm never alone with a woman. Not that, I mean, they're there, but would they come in with me or what? And I didn't want to barge into her room, right? Because I just thought, I said, no, she needs to come out. I stood by the door. I said, she needs to come out, and then I'll, I'll, I'll pray for her, you know? And I'm not thinking I'm, I'm Joe the demon slayer, you know? I'm just thinking I need to do this because I'm being asked to help, and I'm like, Lord, I'm concerned. Lord, I'm just it's like, sounds kind of crazy. So it happens. It's biblical, you know? I know Satan delivered, or, you know, Satan was, I was delivered from Satan. Not Satan was delivered from me. I was delivered from Satan. I wasn't tormenting Satan, okay? <laughs> but... Uh, uh, and literally, I've told this story before, so I don't get into detail, but she literally came out finally, and she made a beeline. Asked my wife. She watched it, and she ran straight to me. She was running and saying my name, you know? And I had to, I had to be like, like a, like, draw before she gets there, because I don't know if she scratched my eyes out or what. So I'm like, in the name of Jesus! And boom, right? What happened, Lisa? Just yell it out. What happened when I said the name of Jesus? You saw it. Just yell it out. You can talk louder than that. You're louder than that with the grandkids. Come on. What? She what? She just fell to the ground. See, I said, in the name of Jesus, come out of boom. She fell to the ground. She didn't, nothing negative out of her after that. I took her to the couch. We did. And we prayed for, I don't know, an hour or so with her. And they called the next day and said, she's normal again, you know? That's the power of the name of Jesus, you guys. Amen. Give glory to God. But you know what? Uh, what's really interesting is there is a group called MUFON. A lot of talk about UFOs and so forth right now, right? Uh, and what's happening is a lot of physicists and stuff are saying this is beyond natural. Things, physical things can't move that fast through space and not be destroyed. And there can't be any life as we know it in these things if they're really because they would be killed. Because the way they turn at breakneck speeds, it's just... So, uh, and I'm not, I don't have time to do this, but I have a, one thing that uh, actually James Jackson turned me on to a clip of a guy, I think it was like at the Pentagon or wherever, and there, it's high-level guys that are the highest level talking about this thing, and one of the guys is saying, we don't know what it is, and he goes, he goes, I think we do know what it is, and he goes, what? And this is the guy who is like, I, I should play the clip, but that would be when we deal a whole message on this, right? When we look at the trees, get more detail. He goes, have you read your Bible lately? You know, and he's like, "What?" And then he goes, "He was saying it's demonic," and he, this is one of the guys that's one of the top guys in the government looking at this stuff. Crazy stuff, amen. And the Bible talks about fallen angels. The Bible talks about the end days. Satanic activity will increase, amen. And that's a lot of what's happening behind the scenes. Well, what if they really find some kind of craft that was legitimately, you know? Well, then they find a craft that was legitimately, but a lot of this phenomena is demonic, okay? 
And that's very, very interesting. And what's interesting is MUFON is the most highly respected clearinghouse for dealing with, the, with regard to UFO investigations. And they deal with people that go through these attacks from these aliens. And I've quoted before in past messages over and over again from the top leaders that are UFOlogists that study this, that write the top books. And a lot of times these guys admit this seems to be like what the Bible talks about in regard to demonic activity. They'll say things like that. And they'll say they're not from far away either. They seem to be coming out of the sea, you know, in our own atmosphere, just been here for years. Fascinating, isn't it? Well, MUFON, which had this, you know, this, this rep, guess what happened? Is some of these folks that were part of MUFON, their investigators taught by MUFON, were seeing some very interesting phenomena they started to realize, like, like uh, Joe Jordan, for instance. Joe Jordan has written extensively. He's been in interviews about his experience and what happened. And he said, we noticed, because he he's described as a Christian rolling new ager before he became a Christian. They were noticing, and this is crazy, that guess who isn't getting you know, possessed by these or going through all these abductions and stuff? And by the way, these abductions and stuff, they don't sound very like, if they're aliens, they're not very nice, are they? And they're very secretive, right? Anal probes, all kinds of weirdness, okay? And they go, you know who's not going through this? Is those who are serious Christians that talk about being born again evangelical. He's talking about those types of Christians. He goes, we're not seeing that phenomena around them, but we're seeing it about with regard to everybody else. Why? They started asking that question. And they started realizing when Christians would go through some kind of attack or whatever, because they wouldn't have the same deep experiences, but they might, or people that were, uh, I should say, people that would use the name of Jesus, maybe not even Christians, right? When people that would use the name of Jesus because their upbringing or something would go through attack, they get deliverance. They're like, what is going on here? And it's interesting, the testimony of a, a gentleman by the name of Bill D., which Joe Jordan talks about, uh, Bill D., he says, I couldn't move. He, uh, he says, there were dogs barking, and there was a gray fog. I couldn't see anything, but it was like someone was there, okay? And he says, I felt myself, he says he felt himself being lifted from the bed, levitating. I was terrified, so helpless. He said, I was screaming inside, but I couldn't get out because he was paralyzed. I went through that before I was a Christian, and I was writing songs about aliens and everything, you know? I thought I was having satanic experience, and the devil had gotten hold of me and shoved a pole up my rectum, and I was holding me up in the air, so helpless, I couldn't do anything. This is stuff I don't think people make up. That's so embarrassing, right? Uh, I said, Jesus, Jesus, help me, or Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. And when I did, there was a feeling or a sound or something that either my words uh, that I had thought or the words that I had tried to say, because he's paralyzed, or whatever, hurt. And this was so much, not the rectum part, and not the levitation off. I slide down my bed and turn sideways. Uh, or say or whatever, hurt whatever was holding me. Like crying out to Jesus, it was like it hurt whatever was holding me up in the air on this pole. And I felt like uh, it was withdrawn. And I fell and hit the bed because it was like I was thrown back in the bed. I really can't tell you what it was, he says. He says, but when I did, my wife woke up and asked me why I was jumping on the bed. Uh, so what's interesting is uh, Joe Jordan, the New Ager, became a Christian. And he says, Bob said that he had been raised Catholic, had been an altar boy. He knew that Jesus, he knew of Jesus, but he had never made that personal relationship with him. I never heard uh, Bob state that he had any more experiences. I believe he had shut the door for good. It's interesting because Joe Jordan now has gone on to just go ahead and uh, uh, continue working with this, this phenomena, but as a Christian, and now he's helped hundreds of peoples, hundreds of people get delivered through the person and the relationship with Jesus Christ. Amen. So that's exciting, you know. So you guys, you can't yell, oh, Buddha. No, you might get, you might get even higher. And even a worse experience, okay? Or, oh, Muhammad. Another example, another line of evidence I think I love to use, I think is really good, is Jesus' miracles, you know? You have so much uh, in these lives that were transformed 
uh, by his miracles. And the prophet said that he would do miracles, Isaiah and so forth. And what's interesting, and, and we're trying to deal with the trees, so I'll give you an example of, of just one miracle besides the ultimate miracle is resurrection, which we'll get in, into a separate line of evidence, which I'll try to be brief on as well. But, uh, and I've used this before, just talking about this, you know, but this is a great line of evidence, you guys, is Mark chapter 8, verse 22, we read, Jesus took a blind, he's a blind man, he's healing. Jesus took the man by the hand and led him out of the town, but some spit, and put some spittle on his eyes, and laid his hands on him. So he lays his hands on him, puts some spit on his eyes, lays his hands on him. By the way, it's interesting when you look at the, when God created the heavens and the earth, right? There's water and there's matter. And now he puts some moisture on his eyes and he prays for him, right? It's interesting. Uh, this is what's really amazing about this is he says, I see men like trees walking. Okay. He said, I see men uh, like trees walking, uh, and Jesus re uh, repeated the procedure, right? And he prayed again for him. He took him aside, by the way. I think it's really interesting. You don't usually see Jesus take people aside, but he takes this guy aside because I believe he purposely only healed his eyes at first. And then the man opens up his eyes, and he sees people, but they look like trees walking, you know? Maybe instead of their limbs down, upside down. Where they're, they're, they're like limbs that are up, you know? And, but this is what's crazy. Then he prays for him again, and he sees everything accurately. Now, guess what? This is, what, this is the trip. The guy's blind from birth. Now they have ointments with certain types of blindness that they could put on your eyes for just a few dollars. There, a lot of people are born blind in Africa, other parts of the world, where all they need is put this ointment on, and they can see. But you know what? There's a real problem when they're born blind. What is it? It's a dissociative disorder where even though they can see, what's happened is when you first are opening your eyes as a baby, your brain, and this is very interesting. You guys really should think this through. It's really cool. When you first get eyesight, your brain starts making a connection with your eyes, and guess what happens? It starts making everything associated because everything is not associated, and your brain you know, the neurons and everything just get ticked off to where you can make things out accurately. But guess what happens? If you're born blind and then your eyes are open much later, it's too late for that to happen. So you don't see things clearly. People, things are disassociated. And I tripped out when I, when I, when I saw this disorder and I started studying it years ago. And I, thought, and I found a book that was written on a guy and his therapy he had to go through. And how he went to therapy because the cat's tail was not in the back of the cat. It was somewhere else. And he had to realize, okay, the cat's tail, because you go up to something, it looks different than what you're seeing. The cat's tail goes back here and everything else. So everything was disassociated. So people that get healed of, of uh, their eyes are able to see years later. So often they can't make out what they're seeing. So they go to through therapy to make out what they're seeing. Isn't that trip? So this shows me that Jesus healed his eyes first, but not his what? Not the connection to the brain. Just, I mean, he's connected to the brain, but not able to see accurately. Then he prays for him again and heals him. Why is this evidence of, because nobody would have a clue what was going on then. In fact, unless you knew about that order, you might think, well, his power bar was kind of low when he first prayed for him. So he only had, he only got a little bit of healing in, then he had to pray more. And so the guy, no, that's not what's going on. This is, what, this is such powerful evidence. Why? Because when that was written in Mark, which is perhaps the first gospel written, right? They had no idea that you'd have a dissociation disorder when you were able to see after being blind for many years unless your brain was also healed. Amen? So Mark couldn't have written that to make it up. Are you with me? Yeah. It's a blow mind. Amen. So praise God. It's just, I think that's so awesome. And there's so many things like that. I believe the Lord did that personally. I could be wrong on this. This is just opinion for us now. Well, it's all written for us now, so it's true, yeah? But I'm saying specifically with that intent might have also been, hey, later on, this will be one of the ways where they can figure out that I was really healing people. Amen? Because it's pretty cool. Next uh, thing I want to give you, and I'm just going to be really brief on this. This point is Bible typology. Bible typology, because I have to hit my trees faster now. I mean, my forest faster now. Bible typology. Guys, 
one of the greatest evidences. I remember walking to church one Sunday, not from home, but in the parking lot, and Dave Hughes, who's now up in uh, Idaho, and love you, Dave, they still watch from time to time, is uh, live stream. But Dave Hughes goes, Joe, he just loves how we use Bible typology in this church. He goes, how come pastors don't use typology more when they teach? I love it when you go through these typologies because it just really you know, raises my faith up. You know? And some pastors do use it, praise God, but I think we should use it more. A typology is where God uses a historical event or a person or a place, right? Or the temple, for instance, a thing to point to Jesus prophetically. And it's just a blow mine. So for instance, even all kinds of things, right? One of the ones I love the most and I use from time to time is the Passover. They were supposed to take a Passover lamb. So the death angel would pass over the houses of those who slayed or killed the Passover lamb. And it wouldn't kill their firstborn. And they're supposed to take a Passover lamb. And how old? That lamb had to be what? How, how old? A full, full what, what gender? There was no debate back then, so people wouldn't get confused, you know. So they'd have to take a male uh, lamb, you know, and it'd be full grown and it had, couldn't have any blemish. And they'd have to inspect it for five days to make sure there's no sickness in it. It was perfect for them. Then they'd kill that lamb. And then they'd have to put the blood on the doorpost, right? And on the lentil, right? In the form of what would make a cross. And what's interesting about this is Jesus, when he was crucified, he was declared to be, even in the Old Testament, Isaiah calls him a lamb before his shears, right? Silent before his shears. John the Baptist, the Old Testament prophet who is written about in the New Testament because the New Testament hadn't been implemented yet, is the last of the Old Testament prophets, says, behold, the lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world, amen? And guess what? Jesus is a full-grown male. When he goes into Jerusalem, they try to find fault in him, the Jewish leaders, five days before the cross. They're trying the whole time. Pilate, at his trial, I find no what? Fault in him. And he's crucified on Passover day. Come on, guys. And Jesus said, Christ, our Passover has been crucified. Amen? And, these, and there's, I'm just giving you an outline. I've done full-blown messages just on the typology because there's so much more to it, but I'm just giving you the skinny right now. Amen? And the skinny is enough, right? The life of Joseph being rejected by his, the 12 tribes all come from those brothers. He's rejected by the, those who represent the 12 tribes of Israel. Thrown in the pit. Rides to the right hand of Pharaoh. Gives bread to the entire world. Then his own Jewish people come to him at the end. But I, by the way, guys, I found about 100 different parallels, prophecies from the life of Joseph and Jesus. That would be longer than just one message, by the way. Just that typology. Jesus, rejected by his brethren. Amen. Thrown in the pit like, Jesus, like Joseph was. Handed over the Gentiles, by the way, which is what the Joseph's brothers did. And they handed him over to the Midianites who gave him to the Egyptians, right? Falsely accused. Jesus was falsely accused. Remember Potiphar's, that whole situation? He rises to the right hand of Pharaoh. Jesus rises to the right hand of the Father. Amen. Joseph becomes the Savior of the world. Physically, that is. And then his own brethren come to him later, after the Gentiles get bread. Jesus is the Savior of the world. We'll do bread in a few minutes here. Isn't that a trip? And then... Jesus, Joseph revealed himself to his brothers. Jesus will reveal himself and they'll see him whom they've pierced. Amen? Wow. Prophecy of technology. I did a message. I don't know if you asked Jim. You could probably find it. Prophecy on Bible technology. But, and I'll just spend a minute on this. Is Man, you guys, the 666 system, where everybody had to buy or sell with a number. When that was written, that wasn't happening. Nothing like that. Now we're like, oh, looks like it's coming, right? Uh, AI, the image of the beast, Right? There's images now they're making with AI. Have you seen the AI of Tom Cruise? The robot looks totally like Tom Cruise. Talks, falls like him, laughs like him and everything. And it's not like this. It's like, is that Tom Cruise? There's been an image of the beast that can speak in Revelation chapter 13. And by the way, there'll be two witnesses in Revelation who are killed. And when they're lying dead, guess what? The people from all the different nations and peoples and tongues around the world will see their bodies at the same time. Could that happen back then? Some of you are saying, yeah, of course, just CNN. No, they didn't have CNN back then, okay? They didn't have Fox News. They didn't have those things. So I've, I've gotten a bunch of those written down. We're not going to go through them all. Uh, the, the, the moral downfall, the moral downfall, right? The moral downfall uh, uh, of just look how wicked it's getting out there, guys. The love of many is growing cold, right? Lawlessness increasing, just like Jesus said. And w wicked men are getting worse and worse. It's really horrifying. Be in prayer. You know, pray for the protection of your families. The resurrection of Christ. 
Thank you, bro. Okay, uh, Mark wants to know if I can go longer because... Uh, no, he didn't say that. Okay, I'm sorry I joked again. I'm, you know, I don't believe joking is unbiblical. I believe, of course, joking is unbiblical now. Dirty joking is. That's wrong. So anyway, I really didn't realize how much I joke. Sorry, Mark. <laughs> Poor Mark. He's been the brunt of it, you know. No, this is, uh, uh, if donations can be made, well, I'm going to say this after my message if I even have time because we can make this announcement next week too. But uh, I want to finish my message here uh, where I've just got a few more minutes left is uh, we have the uh, resurrection of Christ. And I wish I could take more time on this one. But we'll have a whole message on it coming up really soon because I'm going to give this message for Resurrection Sunday. We one of our resurrection messages, right? So I'm just going to mention this. Uh, number one, Jesus died and was buried. Okay, there's an empty. There's a, a number two. There was an empty tomb. Okay, everybody agree with that? Number three, uh, the, the belief, the, the the faith of the apostles. Man, they went to their death exclaiming that he lived. People will die for a lie if they don't know it's a, if, if they don't know it's a lie. But if you know he didn't rise from the dead, you don't go in the same town and get beat up over and over again. Amen? Remember, they're hiding before they saw him at the resurrection. They were fearful for their lives. Then they, man, they went out there. They could care less if they died because they knew he lived. Amen? And that's number three. Number four, the conversion of Saul the terrorist. I mean, that would be like the conversion of, it's dramatic. Saul was the most anti-Christian people you know, person you know of in the first century. Can you imagine if Richard Dawkins said, I became a Christian now? I've seen the evidence. That's kind of what happened in the first century ha, when Paul became a Christian. We like Richard Dawkins getting saved uh, today. And uh, Paul, by the way, he says, why do, I, uh, why do I die daily? Why do I constantly live under the threat of death, right? He's stoned to death almost. They thought he was dead. They left him. He goes, why not eat, drink, and be merry? For tomorrow I die. He goes, because I know he's risen. He had that Damascus experience, amen, on the road to Damascus. So it's amazing. And Peter says in 2 Peter 1.16, for we are not... We did not follow cleverly devised tales when we made known to you the power and the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but we were, we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. Amen? Amen. So there's all these evidence. Is, uh, the last one I share with you is, well, I'll just be brief because it might be the last two, is The Harmony of the Bible, written by over 40 authors, Genesis to Revelation, 66 books. Aramaic, Hebrew, and Greek, three different languages, but it's one message. And in Genesis, the first few chapters, you have paradise, then you have paradise lost. You have thorns and thistles come up in the ground and death. You go through the very end of the Bible, the last few chapters of the book of Revelation, you have paradise restored. You have no more curse. You have no more thorns, and you have no more thistles. You have no more death. You have just life. Amen? And, all, and, it's, and you have access to the tree of life now. They were banished in Genesis chapter uh, 3 and 4 from the tree of life. Now it says in the last few chapters, they have access to the tree of life. It's one beautiful, harmonious book. And the bridge between the two is what Jesus Christ did on the cross for our sins. Amen. Amen. And probably uh, the, this will be the last evidence I'll give you is the transformed life. My life, right. your life, if you know Jesus has been radically transformed. The Bible says, if anyone be in Christ is a new creation. Behold, old things have passed away and all things have what? Become new. I've never seen a life transformed supernaturally unless it's by the occult in an evil way. But where someone's born again and they just love God with their whole heart, soul, mind, and strength and love the Lord Jesus Christ and want it and just become totally new than Christianity, you know? Why do you think my mom, all three of my sisters, my brother Tom, you know, why do you think they all became Christians in the first year or two or three, depending on what Kathy was the last holdout, I think, but she came strong when she came. They, a big part of that was seeing my life transformed and them seeing my siblings' lives transformed one by one. My mom's life, he's new, man. In fact, Kathy, did we have the nicest, quietest, mellowest family in the house when we were young? She's putting her head down going, no. We had a loud house, man. We were maniacs, man. Most of us were drugged on drugs and everything else, man. We came to Jesus, man. Then we'd have like 35 people almost every Sunday at our house. Well, anywhere between 25 and 35 usually, oftentimes, living harmoniously, brothers, sisters, spouses, their kids, friends from church. And you very rarely have even a disagreement that got loud. That would be an incredibly rare thing. You'd be like, oh, what's going on? Only Jesus could do that. Amen. I mean, I remember, I remember my sister chasing me with a knife. No kidding. Not that sister. The other, another sister. I won't tell you which one. You might be able, you might be able to guess, you know. Anyway. With a big butcher knife. That happened in a restaurant, too. I saved a waitress who was getting chased by the chef with a butcher knife. That's another story. Uh, chasing around the sushi bar. I just, stop her. Stop her. I'm like, don't cut me. And uh, that was a crazy story. Huh? Not by my sister. That's right. Not by my sister. That's right. <laughs> uh, amen.
So God is good, amen. He transforms our lives. That's the power of the Holy Spirit. That's the power of God that's undeniable. Amen. Anyway, I've got to... I wish I could have gotten more into typology, all these things, but that's why we'll have a single message on each of these things. So just like, really just wow, these evidences are just so beautiful. But I want to encourage you now, if you don't know the Lord Jesus Christ and you're not saved, there's overwhelming evidence that he lives, amen, that this Bible is inspired by God and it's a blow mind that's supernaturally written by, by the divine God, amen, and it's way beyond anything any human could do. And it shows you that he's a good God that loves us, amen, and he wants you to be saved. If you don't know the Lord Jesus Christ, you should know by now that we're all sinners. We've all blown it. Jesus says God alone is good. We're sinners that we need salvation from him. The good news is he died on the cross in your place. It was prophesied. He paid for all your sins. He rose again. The Bible says, whoever calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. If you repent and you turn from your rebellion against God and you embrace Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior and put your trust in him, the Bible says you'll pass from death to life and you will not come into condemnation. You'll receive the gift of eternal life. Isn't that a great promise? It's called the grace of God, man. Do that now if you have not done that. Let's all please stand up as they pass out the cup and the bread.